Hey guys, I'm Annie Allen, a certified divorce coach, RCSD divorce realtor, and your host for the Starting Over Stronger Divorce Survival and Recovery Podcast, the show that's all about bringing you the practical, professional help you need as you divorce and hope for creating a life you'll love after. I don't skim the surface around here. If you want to dive deep into the wholehearted wisdom of how to have a better divorce experience than everyone else you know, by changing what you do, this is the podcast for you. After a lifetime in dysfunctional relationships and over a decade in recovery, I'm ready to share everything I've learned and everything I'm still learning, along with the collective wisdom of amazing divorce professionals and divorce survivors. Because I believe the keys to a better divorce and healthier relationships to come should never be a secret. The enlightening and unconventional wisdom you'll find here is actionable and sometimes even fun, like friends chatting over coffee. So come listen in for a fresh, honest look at doing divorce differently. Starting Over Stronger is here for you, for the help and hope you need before, during, and after your divorce. Let's dive in. Welcome to the Starting Over Stronger Show, where you'll find help and hope for your divorce survival and recovery. Divorce well, live well. Hello, and welcome back to the Starting Over Stronger show. We are back this week with our special guest, Regina. If you did not already listen to last week's episode about one woman's story of parental alienation, I would invite you to pause this show now and go back and listen to that first. You're going to get to hear her personal story of parental alienation, her divorce, all of the details and situations that she has dealt with about this. And because we spent so much time last week on hearing her story, we didn't get into any of the information about parental alienation that I know so many of you listening are going to want to hear. So we decided to just make a part two because I'm the producer of this show, so I can do that. (laughs) And so we're going to have a talk today about parental alienation and everything that we know about it. And I only know what I've learned through my research. Uh, Regina knows what she has learned through her life. So there is a lot of value here today to be added um, to your life if this is something that you are in the middle of or fear you might be in the middle of. So hang on to your seats. We got a lot of information here. I would suggest having a notebook and and a pen because there's a lot of things that I bet you're going to want to write down. So I will just start by saying, first of all, welcome back, Regina. Thanks for coming back and having this conversation part two with me. Thank you for having me back. I um, Anything I can do to spread awareness 
um, I am happy to be a part of. Awesome. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Okay. Well, I just want to start with a simple, I guess, definition and clarification on the whole concept of parental alienation, because I find that in even just a little bit of research, (laughs) that there's a disturbing amount of conflicting information about it online. And what I learned is that the term parental alienation syndrome is a term that was introduced by child psychiatrist Richard Gardner in 1985. And it was meant to describe what he believed to be a distinctive suite of behaviors in children that includes showing extreme but unwarranted fear, disrespect, or hostility toward a parent. Sadly, though, there are reputable and many organizations online that are citing parental alienation syndrome as when one parent attempts to turn the couple's children against the other parent. A parent who is angry at the spouse or ex-spouse accomplishes estrangement by painting a negative picture of the other parent via deprecating comments, blame, and false accusations shared with the children. Add to this my recent conversation on a former episode with Judge Kate Lynch, who brought to light her assessment that parental alienation syndrome has been debunked. Now, hear me out. (laughs) In context to the conversation with the judge and now seeing all this conflicting information online, what I've come to believe, and I want to get Regina's input on this, is that she most likely meant the judge And how I took her comment at that time was that these bad dads and bad moms who are alienating their kids from their other parent do not have a medical syndrome that they can blame. It's just bad behavior. It's a lack of character. It's a lack of morality. It is abuse, plain and simple. There's nothing else to blame for it but the perpetrator of it. The syndrome however, that I think makes sense when I do the research is that is what the child experiences as a result of the abuser's behavior. And in general, the alienating parent is the least emotionally healthy of the two, and unfortunately, also often the uh, wealthier of the two, therefore better able to afford legal challenges and using the court system to continue their abuse with way too many unscrupulous attorneys all too willing to help them to do just that. And so I would love to just stop here and invite you, Regina, to give your thoughts on that whole conundrum. You know, I tend to agree with you. I've read a lot of articles on this. I wish that I had the one that was so helpful. It was very, very lengthy, but she summed it up in saying, like the layman's definition of parental alienation is when one parent gives the children permission to break the other parent's heart. Mm. Um, But anyway, the whole article was a whole different thing. And it talked about the characteristics that you see in children that have been alienated from a parent. Mm -hmm. And it is this, this very black and white thinking. And they tend to, it's very, very extreme to the point of it's all bad. Um, Mm -hmm. 100% about that parent is all bad. There's no good there. And she was saying in the article, even, you know, children from abuse, even those children whose parents were legitimately abusive, it's not this black and white, my mom or my dad is 100% evil, wicked, awful, 
I never want to be with them. There is that conflicting, it's the cycle, it's the good and the bad. It's, I love you, you hurt me, you know? Mm -hmm. And so anyway, but she, oh, I'll have to try to find that because that's going <laughs> to frustrate me. But <laughs> but I agree exactly with what you're saying, that it is um, what you end up visibly seeing is children. The result of parental alienation is this extreme behavior on the part of the kids where it's just pure hatred for the other parent. Yeah. The syndrome is the, what happens to the child. It's not a mental health condition of the abuser, I guess is what it boils down to. And I agree with that. I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of my opinion formed on all of these things, but also, you know, on the good word of a judge who sees this in her divorce court, you know, domestic violence, divorce court all the time. So I think it's a valid opinion. And I don't know that anybody on this phone call anyway, (laughs) can say for sure what it is. But you know, it's, I think that's the that is the main point I wanted to make is that when we talk about parental alienation, and as we talk through this today, we're not talking about a co-parent or an ex-spouse who has a mental health condition that maybe is going untreated, which might be the ca- which might also be the case. <laughs> and that's something separate from what we're talking about. We're talking about the actions of one party against the other that are detrimental to the children. So that's kind of the framework, I guess, that I wanted to to set for our conversation. And I thought we'd just kind of break it up into a few different things. What what the other party, the offending party is doing, what the children may or may not be doing as part of this, this syndrome, if you want to call it that, and what you can do, most importantly. And so, you know, you, I guess, in this scenario being the person who's a victim of parental alienation. So, and I I always kind of make the assumption that that's the person that's listening today because (laughs) the other party wouldn't be listening to something like this, right? Yes. (laughs) Okay. So the other party, one of the first things that I, that I found that um, would, would be a good indication that you're experiencing parental alienation is that the other party is sending negative messages overtly to your child talking bad about you. Uh, They're showing the child messages that were sent by you and maybe taken out of context to make you look bad. And they're in general, just using any kind of messaging, whether it's verbal or in print to paint you in a negative light to your kids. I'm going to guess that you've experienced all of those things. I have. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that negative messaging goes beyond the written word and verbal, but to body language even. I mean, kids are smart. They can see and know rolling eyes, dismissive gestures, body language, Um, They certainly can also covertly read messages between the lines like, I wanted to take you on vacation, but we can't because, you know, so-and-so didn't do such and such or whatever, you know. So those are those kind of things are parental alienation. The next thing I have on this list is sharing grown-up details with the child. And in some cases, that's anything about the divorce or finances. In I would say in most cases, it's anything about the divorce or finances. 
Now, the the thing I want to kind of point out here is that in all reality, even in non-parental alienation divorces, good parents are known to hit a breaking point or a weak moment here or there during a divorce and say something that they wish they hadn't. And they usually know pretty quickly <laughs> that they shouldn't have said what they said. And, you know, they handle that well. They tell the kids they're sorry for sharing too much. Um, and they, you know, they do the best to make amends for that and to make sure that the children know that their comments were not intended to sever their love or relationship with their other parent, that they were just venting and they didn't do it properly, you know, something like that where they're they're not just it's not an intentional thing that's being done over and over and over again to bring that child into what's happening in the divorce situation. And I really think that's regardless of age. But what thoughts do you have on that? Oh, yeah, it is. It starts you know, I I work with women who are coming out of domestic violence situations. And so I have the opportunity to hear a lot of stories. Mm-hmm. And in my situation, I didn't leave until my kids were 13 and 16. But, you know, in many other situations, um, divorces are happening when kiddos are younger. And there are very subtle and not so subtle things that are being done by one parent to alienate the children against the other parent. Yeah. Things that may even work for a time when they're young, you know, they, you may get away with it, but I think, you know, as with most things in life, <laughs> what goes around comes around. And I think eventually, you know, kids get old enough that they can look with hindsight on things that happened in their, in their life with their other parent during a divorce or, or the time following that and make their own decisions about what was really going on there. Mm-hmm. I could interject just one thing um, Mm -hmm. that when this all started becoming clear to me that um, my ex-husband was willing to basically weaponize the kids to harm me, ultimately, I didn't know what to do. You know, they say, oh, don't ever talk about, don't ever talk bad about your spouse in front of your kids and that's their dad and all this stuff. So that was what I maintained was he's your dad. I'm your mom. Like I can't be your dad and he can't be your mom and you need both of us and we both love you. And I was just trying to just consistently repeat that. Yeah. (laughs) And I didn't know what to do or what to say when all of the lies started coming out from my kids Mm-hmm. of things like, you know, fill in the blank. Um, I was going to take you on vacation, but mom's taking me to court. Um, mom took all my money. Mom did this, mom did that, whatever it was. And, you know, mom left without talking to me. Uh, mom left because our therapist said so, you know, told her to leave, Some just whatever. So I had talked to my therapist about it months into it, because it was taking me a while to figure out what all was happening. And this might be really, really helpful for our listeners Mm -hmm. today. My therapist had said, narrative drives behavior. And he said, you know, your ex-husband's narrative that he is telling the kids is driving their behavior toward you. So they are lashing out at me in anger 
because of the false narrative that he is brainwashing them with. Mm -hmm. And he had said to me, you know, your responsibility is to correct the narrative, not in a way of, you know, oh, your dad's a whatever X, Y, or Z, but just to say, you know, that's not true. Okay. So I can show you the bank statements. Mm -hmm. There was $8,000 in our account and the judge said that we needed to split that. So mom got 4,000, dad got 4,000, you know, um, stuff like that. And he said, you know, one of the things that he sees in young adults who have come from these types of situations that are now seeing reality for what it is, they really struggle with um, guilt and Mm -hmm. anger too, because oftentimes the parent who's being alienated doesn't speak up and tell the truth and direct the narrative. And so if I could offer any advice to your listeners today, it is don't be afraid to speak the truth. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a way to do that without maligning their the other parent. Yeah. The so. truth isn't good or bad. The truth is just the truth. That's right. That's right. And I and I've talked about that in several different ways with with my clients and probably a little bit on the podcast even but even with friends, you know, just talking about, you know, how do you talk to your kids about the things that are happening in your marriage or divorce that you, you know, especially older kids, I think this is particularly um, important for because they're old enough to know what's going on. They're not they're, you know, older teenagers or even in their 20s, you know, they understand what's going on. And so for you to not just be truthful with them about everything feels a little bit like you're just as dishonest as the other party. And so, I mean, you're not being mean or criticizing or, you know, being negative. You're just stating your truth. What is or the truth? What is the truth, you know? And leaving it at that. Yeah. And yeah. it's and it's hard to do because there's a lot of emotion going on and, and you want to do more than that. <laughs> right. So um, another way that the other party or the offending party is acting is refusing to co-parent like an adult. I think that kind of goes without much explanation. <laughs> do, do any examples come to mind for you? <laughs> Oh, yes, for sure. So um, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Disney dad syndrome or mm-hmm. the Disney, you know, it doesn't have to be the Disney dad, it could be the Disney mom syndrome. But yeah, um, my husband particularly was extremely, he had a million rules, like a million rules. <laughs> and we were all just like so burdened by all of these rules. Yeah. And when I left... I was trying to maintain consistency between our households. So, for example, one rule in particular was um, the boys were not allowed to take their cell phones up into their bedrooms at bedtime. Mm -hmm. So, at bedtime, you leave your cell phones downstairs and we'll charge them all down here. And you can go to your bed and go to sleep, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, So, that was one of our rules um, for the sake of, you know, the kids' purity, things like that. Right. Um, and (laughs) 
So when I left, of course, I maintained that same standard and he uh, let go of the reins completely and it was just a free for all anything goes. And so um, 100% of the time without fail, as I was trying to implement this, some type of structure, obviously I was majoring on the majors. I was not majoring on the minors. We weren't having a million little rules of, okay, we're not going to have food in the basement. We da, 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 right. have food in your room. I mean, all those little things, we weren't doing that yeah. at all, but the, the major one, you know, that was the hard and fast rule. Mm-hmm. And that was no longer a rule at his house anymore. <laughs> and <laughs> it's a free for all so, over there. <laughs> yes. You do whatever you want. Yep. You get to come and go as you please. You get to, you know, have your phone. In fact, my younger son, he gave him actually two iPhones and never bothered to let me know that. So my younger son would turn in the one iPhone at bedtime and then go up to his room where he had his other <laughs> iPhone. In oh his my room. gosh. <laughs> and then the older son, of course, was the one that told me, oh, by the way, he has a second phone that dad gave him. And I was like, oh, yeah. Okay. Good to know. Right. And I would consistently email him and plead with him and say, you know, we've got to work together here for the sake of the kids. We've got to put our differences aside. We have got to have consistency between our two households because the boys are not doing well at all. Mm -hmm. And he continually, he would copy and paste the same response to me back every time. Rule number one in my house, the boys must respect you. What? Uh, okay. And he would just copy and paste the same response to every single one of my pleading emails. <laughs> and oh my it was just like, uh, so be, just be their favorite like, parent at any cost. Yes. I guess yes. Is exactly. Rule, rule number one. Yeah. <laughs> that is the rule. The, un- the unwritten rule. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh my goodness. Must be exhausting. Well, so another step farther is that the offending party, otherwise known as the abuser, is making false allegations of abuse, saying that the victim of the parental alienation is the actual abuser. Now, statistically speaking, after my conversation with Judge Lynch, I have to say this is relatively small in comparison to the true allegations of abuse in divorce court. And so what I hate to see, and I know it happens, is the fact that some small number of people alleging abuse when it happens, it it leads the masses or at least the judges to discount all allegations of abuse because of the fact that some of them might be false rather than the fact that most of them are true. Right. So this, this is a hard thing to deal with, but I just think there needs to be more education all the way around judges, attorneys, guardians ad litem, child custody evaluators, and victims all need to learn more about how to spot abuse, what covert abuse looks like, and for the victims especially, how to behave in court um, or with your attorney so as to not make yourself look like the perpetrator because your abuser knows how to make it look like you. And so you have to be just as smart and one step ahead of them with that. What are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. And you, you hit on a word that is very, very critical in this <laughs> dialogue, and that is covert. Um, mm-hmm. These people are covert. 
These mm-hmm. are leaders in the church. These are pillars in the community. These are the neighbors who are shoveling your driveway. Mm-hmm. These are the person who's bringing you a meal when you've had surgery. These are the ones who are all about the public show. Mm-hmm. Um, Everybody loves them. Yes. Except the people they have to live with. Yes. And, you know, it's true. And then the the victims, we end up, there's so much crazy making that goes along with covert abuse Mm -hmm. that we end up looking like the crazy ones because we are sitting here like (laughs) waving our arms and like, help, somebody help. Yeah. How does nobody else see what I'm seeing? Right. And it becomes like this desperate, frantic movement. And, you know, it's so difficult to find the resources to gather the support, to even know what to do. And so meanwhile, their facade is polished to a spit shine. Mm -hmm. And the victim is the one that looks like they're coming apart at the seams because typically, you know, we've got like PTSD and anxiety Mm -hmm. and all these other things going on as a result of what we have endured for the duration of the marriage and when we think that we get out of the marriage and that we have been able to escape the abuse, lo and behold, we find that the abuser continues their abuse just using different tools, whatever means necessary, whether that's the courts, the children, the family members, um, the church community, the whatever it is. Yeah. Um, the abuse doesn't stop just because you were able to escape. Yeah. It's so true. That's why I say the only good thing that can be said about this is that there needs to be more education all the way around because there are judges that are giving custody to abusers without an awareness of what covert abuse looks like. There are attorneys who are being played into it. There are guardians at litem and child custody evaluators who I don't think are bad people, but they are contributing to uh, abusers continuing their abuse in the court process. And then, you know, the victims, because of their trauma, they are sometimes their own worst enemies in a court of law. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, each and every one of us in whatever way we can needs to pick up this baton and run with it and figure out how we can help to educate whoever is in our sphere of influence about what covert abuse is and how it presents and, um, you know, maybe start making a difference that could over time undo all of this mess, but it's going to take some time and it's not easy work. So, yeah, I mean, I can't think of a good transition back into our list, but that's just a hard topic. I can't, it's hard to get off of that. Um, but there are so many other ways that this presents and goes to the level of a parent lying, flat out lying to their own child, telling them or inferring to them that their other parent does not love them. I can't think of much more a damaging thing to do than that. Um, expressing their anger or withdrawing love in order to pull the child away from the other parent, kind of that whole victim thing. Yes. Making the child dependent upon them Mm -hmm. out of some 
sick need that they aren't getting met the right way, mm-hmm. creating a distance between the child and the alienated parent, limiting contact, obviously, of the child with the, with the alienated parent, um, pressuring or forcing the child to pick one parent over the other. And there's a million different ways that comes out. Brainwashing is really what all of this is, but you know, the, the worst case of brainwashing is when you are trying to convince your child that their other parent is dangerous when they're not. And then not allowing the other parent to visit the child, making the child check on or spy on the other parent, um, changing the child's name so that there's no association with the other parent. Hiding the information of a child with the alienated parent, making the child call or meet a step parent, telling their child not to call the other parent, mom or dad, and instead asking them to call them by their first name, creating fear in the child about court, trial, litigation procedures, interfering between the child and the parent's communication. And even limiting the pictures of the child with the other parent. Anything else that you can think of that you, or that you've dealt with in your own um, situation with regard to what the offending party or abuser is doing? Yes, yeah. absolutely. So in my case, he would email me and say things like, um, oh, is everything okay with you? I never talked to the kids about their time with you, um, but I noticed that they were here all weekend and like, are you okay? So not telling the kids, hey, it's your weekend with mom, you know, and just playing like he's just totally clueless and blissfully unaware and just so happy to have them there. And oh, all of a sudden, you know, it's Sunday and they're still here. Oops, Um, I didn't even notice. Right. (laughs) And another thing is, um, you know, there's always a parenting plan with a divorce decree and things like that when there are children involved. And the parenting plan always says things like you need to, you know, make the other parent aware of events, uh, medical decisions, Mm -hmm. um, emergencies, things like that. And in my particular situation, my ex-husband has not made me aware of anything. And I do share joint legal custody, mm-hmm. um, but um, I've gotten emergency room bills, multiple of them, and just a copy of the bill saying, cut me a check for half. I've never- Without you ever knowing that they went to the emergency room or what happened? Yes, exactly. Oh my gosh. And I did a parent-teacher conference um, in February for both my kids and One of my kids' teachers said, you know, well, your son was just in a bad rollover accident, has a concussion. So, you know, I'm showing him some mercy on not turning in this assignment because he just had this accident and has a concussion. And that's how you learned that it happened? Yes. Through a Zoom parent-teacher conference. And I'm trying to keep my face contained so that... It's not obvious to everyone. (laughs) Yes, she she does not know that I have no idea that that happened. So just simply, you know, disregarding the entire parenting plan, not keeping me informed of any events. Uh, My son graduated from high school in May and he received six tickets and I was not given a ticket 
And my ex made it very clear to my mom that I would not be invited. And then he also sent me an email through the court monitored app that I was, wasn't going to be receiving a ticket, things like that, that are just not, it's not legal. It's contempt of court, you know? So he has no fear even with the court monitored app to say those things to you. Correct. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. So I some mean, things are covert and some things are just blatant. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like the the more they get away with, the brawnier they get, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And, you know, I think that with your entire list that you read off, I mean, all of it is 100% on track. But I think what the goal is, is to erase the parent. Yeah. And that's what they end up trying to do is literally erasing that parent Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, who doesn't dislike their ex, at least for a while? So, you know what? I mean, uh, we on some level, we get all this, right? But who mm-hmm. rises to the level of using their child to punish the other person long beyond not only during the divorce, but months and years after? I mean, I can't imagine the level of anger that has to be inside of someone for them to carry this on for such a period of time. It it just boggles me. Mm-hmm. It harms the kids, you know. Oh, the kids, yeah, yeah. The kids are the victims, and it's it's heartbreaking that they would be willing to do that kind of damage to their own children for the sake of anger power, control, mm-hmm. uh, revenge, whatever it is, it's it's tragic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, speaking of the child, there's, there's some ways that you see this come out in the child, what the child or children are likely to be doing as these types of actions are being taken by the other party. Um, they may simply refuse to talk to you or visit you. They are probably assuming everything said by the alienating parent is right, either because maybe they've already had a couple of different things. They, they maybe had a slightly better, closer relationship with that parent. They maybe just were being controlled and manipulated by that parent already. Or maybe it is simply the fact that the human brain, the way it works, is that the first thing we hear is the thing we believe the most. And when another person or situation presents that challenges that first thing we hear, we automatically are more suspicious of the second thing than we are of the first. So it may simply be a matter of the other party getting to the child first and sharing things that are falsehoods or abusive. And, you know, they may give a not so convincing reason to not meet you. It could be, I've heard the term frivolous rationalization, but I mean, more or less what it is, is just the child is saying they can't come spend time with you for a reason that you know, because you know your child, that that isn't really a real reason. It's something that maybe is close enough to real that you can't argue with it, but you know that there's more to it than that, right? Yes. And, you know, you may have a child that's suddenly become rude and hateful toward you or to your family or friends. And maybe it is suddenly and maybe it's just something that sort of develops over time. But you probably have a sense that they don't have a lot of guilt for their behavior because at this point in time, anyway, they don't really see what they're doing is wrong. They see themselves as a victim of you, um, even though, in fact, you are both victims of the other party. 
Um, but at this point in time, they, they don't have the intellectual or emotional capability of being able to see that. And, you know, some at some point, like you mentioned earlier, Regina, they, they probably are going to get to a point where um, years down the road or whenever that they're going to see things differently than they do now. And then feelings of guilt may come because they might feel like they should have known not to believe that they should have trusted their mother or their father, whoever's the victim in this situation. Mm-hmm. Thoughts on that? Yeah. Uh, obviously, you know, I pray that my kids will be able to see the truth and to see reality for what it is. Um, and I hope that when that does happen, that they don't have to face the added layer of regret mm-hmm. and guilt. Yeah over that because as I said, you know, in spite of all of it, um, they're the victims here. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And until they come to that realization, they are going to go on behaving like little miniature versions of their abuser, unfortunately, in many situations. And that includes talking wrongly or badly about you in front of others, their friends or their teachers or anyone, you know, who might listen, you know, they're going to be spreading animosity about you. And who knows what kind of situations that might put you in. The child might be perceiving everything that's coming from the alienating parent as good or right. And everything that's coming, you know, from that parent that's being alienated as bad or wrong, just like you said earlier, just a very black and white view of everything. And just not accepting anything positive from you. They they're always taking the side of the other parent. And it's it's, I'm sure, really hard to be on the other side of when you know you've got the truth on your side, but that doesn't really seem to matter right now mm-hmm. to anybody but you. And then, you know, obviously be, depending on their age, that they may not be able to gauge what's right and wrong. And and maybe it's not even dependent on their age. It may be more dependent on the level of control and manipulation that's being dealt out to them. But, you know, they're believing whatever the alienating parent is saying to them. And so that is what, you know, you're going to be up against and what you're going to be seeing in the children. Hello, listeners. This is Annie. I just wanted to remind you that you don't have to do divorce alone. If you've been listening for any length of time, you know that I'm a certified divorce and life transition coach and an RCSD divorce realtor. Maybe you're just here gathering courage and information for a future divorce decision. But if not, and you're in the middle of a divorce and you're struggling with these kinds of issues, please don't feel like you can't afford the help you need. I'm so thankful to be able to provide you with this free resource. And I know from the feedback I get from listeners like you that there is a lot of help being found here, but there is more and you can afford it. Here are four ways you can get more help from starting over stronger. One, the least expensive investment you can make with starting over stronger is just five to $20 a month as a Patreon subscriber. You just go to patreon.com slash SOS divorce. And that's spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash SOS divorce to see what new content you can expect with this small investment. 
Number two, the next size investment you can make in yourself is in the weekly support groups that are offered through Starting Over Stronger for just $55 a month, where you will be a part of a growing group of women learning about toxic relationship recovery, clarity, divorce survival, and life 2.0 divorce recovery. These groups of women just like you are learning and getting support from one another in some incredible ways. The new group meets on Monday evenings from 6 to 7 p.m. Central, and you can email me at Annie at startingoverstronger.com to learn more or sign up at meetup.com by searching Starting Over Stronger Toxic Relationship Recovery. Three, if you need to sell or buy a home in Kansas or Missouri as part of your divorce, I offer dedicated divorce real estate consulting assistance to ensure that you're making the smartest decision possible about the marital home. Whether you keep, sell, refi, or want to buy something new for yourself, you can email me at Annie at startingoverstronger.com so I can help you be sure you're making the best decision about your home. And if you don't live in Kansas or Missouri, I can make a recommendation for you to another RCSD realtor who will be able to provide you with these same divorce related services. And fourth, and most importantly, we all struggled through our divorces in ways we couldn't have imagined we would have to when it all started. This is why I got certified as a divorce and life transition coach. I wanted to save women time, money, and stress during their divorce. And private divorce coaching may seem like an expensive luxury that you can't afford, but I assure you it is the exact opposite. It is a critically important service that will reduce your attorney's fees, help you get your words and actions aligned with your goals and dreams, which will ultimately reduce your stress and probably shorten the duration of your divorce process. So if that sounds good to you, visit startingoverstronger.com and book a discovery call now. It will cost you nothing to find out how divorce coaching can help. So as you can see, Starting Over Stronger offers a variety of tools for you to grab a hold of during your divorce so you don't have to do it alone. Reach out for the help you need. I'm here when you need me. Anything else that you can think of that you've experienced with what you see in the kids when this is all going on? Well... I think that there's just a lot of anger and for sure, I mean, just you hear the exact words, they will repeat back to you exactly what their parent has said to them and it will come out in the heat of the moment. And I have, you know, (laughs) many, many examples of that that I won't get into, Um, but It's heart-wrenching, you know, and honestly, as a survivor of domestic violence, when you finally recognize that you have to protect yourself, that you matter, Mm -hmm. and you are able to get out of that situation, and you begin the process of coming face-to-face with all of the wounding 
and you realize that you are just at the very, very beginning of this healing journey. And then it can be so overwhelming to try to also parent through when you're when you've come from a place of feeling unsafe in your home and then you get to a place of safety and then you find yourself feeling unsafe yet again it's a really hard place to be mm-hmm. and the support i mean it feels like you need a team of support you know and i love that you're doing the divorce coaching cuz i mean a coach is super important a therapist is super important friends are super important. It's just like this entire, I remember I was going to the school. um, My kids were at a private Christian school and I was going to the school to meet with the chaplain and the school psychologist every week because I was like, you guys, I need help. I don't know how to do this. Like, I don't know how to Like, I know how to parent the way that he had us parent, Mm -hmm. and I want to do something drastically differently here, and yet I am trying to do this all on my own, and there's been so much modeling going on now by the time I left that a lot of, I mean, at at that age is, you know, the die is kind of set. Um, They've they've seen this example for their whole lives. And the example was to disrespect me and treat me like a child. And so they looked at me like I was on the same level as them, Mm -hmm. treated me very disrespectfully. And the general tone, I mean, of my husband and his entire family is that women are inferior and men, the leaders and all this stuff. And so when you, when they're steeped in these, these generations of misogyny, Mm -hmm. um, the kids grow up thinking that is normal. And so now here I am a single woman really learning and beginning to understand that all of that stuff is brainwashing. I had been brainwashed they have been brainwashed. And now here I am trying to like fight against the current and literally also needing to recognize that I have value as a human being and that I have, I have a responsibility to protect myself mm-hmm. and to keep myself in a place where I can continue to feel safe and to heal, mm-hmm. and to get stronger. So yeah. I, I know it's a little bit different situation just because my kids of their ages and things like that, but it's a very real um, struggle to be able to, when when you have been steeped in a religiosity that says that, that you have to die to yourself and that it's sinful to um, care for yourself, it's sinful to love yourself, And then you finally wake up and you go, you know what? I have to protect myself. I have to put on my oxygen mask first. Like I have to do this because I do have worth. I do matter. Yeah. You hit that moment where you just, it, it, it isn't a choice anymore. You, you, it's survival. You have to end it. And you have to get out of it. And I I love what you said about fighting against the current, because that kind of leads into what we're going to talk about now, which is what you can be doing. And, you know, the fact is, as a parent who's alienated from their child or children, the pain is intense. Mm 
And I know that, you know, anybody listening here today has felt that. And I'm just going to say it. And I hope any of my male listeners can understand what I'm about to say. But I think that is especially true for the mother who bore these children in her body. That's not to say that it is not a significant loss to a father when a mother alienates his children from him. And, you know, and I absolutely think there is a significant loss for anyone. But I truly believe there's a a bond between a mother and a child that they carry that's like nothing else that can be understood or matched anywhere on the planet, honestly. (laughs) And, And it causes a level of grief that that can't be explained. It can only be experienced if you've had if you've had to be there. And that being said, the pain any alienated parent feels is real and intense. And what I want to encourage anybody listening today to do is to put that pain into action and and just start with what you as the victim can do. Because, you know, the thing I always say is that is where all your power is. There's nothing you can do to change what your abuser is doing to you. There's really not a lot you can do about how your legal case is going to turn out in your divorce. But there is an incredible amount that you can do to change your responses and your actions in a way that could very well change the outcome for the better, both within your family and within your divorce in the courts. So I want to talk about those things because that's where I want everyone's pain and and energy to go because that's the only place that it makes sense for it to go is to where it can actually maybe solve this problem. And so I'll start by saying just collecting proof. And this is a vast issue. And it starts the moment that you realize there's going to be a divorce, if not before then. Be very wise about recording everything knowing your state and geographical area laws about recording legalities. Um, But just speaking from here in Kansas and Missouri, we have one party consent, which means that you as one of the parties to a conversation can record without the other's knowledge. So you should do it every single time you have a conversation with them. And there are apps to help you with this. And you never know when you're going to capture something that is going to help the judge or attorney to be able to see the reality of the manipulation and the control and the pattern that exists within this relationship. So that is that just can't be understated. And, and there are other episodes that we have broke that down in detail. The one I'm thinking of specifically is an interview with a divorce attorney. And we went through the nest prep guide that I have provided and prepared for my clients, which is an exit strategy guide, which offers specific tips about how to collect proof and what ways work best for that. What experience, if any, did you have with that? Well, (laughs) you know, I did with my abuse group, I did, they were very helpful as I began to recognize that I was very unsafe and that things were escalating in my home. These women helped me with a very practical plan um, to prepare. As far as the divorce, you know, everything... uh, 
how do I even say this? My lawyer just kept saying, we need a guardian ad litem. We need a guardian ad litem. And, you know, specifically pertaining to the custody and the kids and things like that. And everything was drug out for so long because of COVID. Because I filed in June of 2019. Our trial wasn't until September of 2020. Mm-hmm. Wasn't stamped final until January of 2021. Wow. And it just, I didn't feel like a guardian ad litem was going to be able to see through the covert mm-hmm. abuse um, to the insidious nature of the alienation that was going on. And from all the 4,300 women in my domestic violence support group that I help run, none of them have come forward and said, oh my gosh, my guardian ad litem did such a wonderful job. I'm so grateful for them. In fact, it's been a lot of the opposite of the guardian ad litem really pushing for more time with the abusive parent. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was not comfortable going that route and... My lawyer pretty much was upset that I didn't follow his counsel and he just kind of kicked it in neutral and was like, okay, well, you should have listened to me and did not represent me at all. Yeah, I've heard one too many stories like that, (laughs) unfortunately. And that's, that's why I always come back to there just must be a need for more education. Because I can't believe I won't allow myself to believe that there is this whole group of people that went through all the trouble to the training and the education and the licensure and whatever else they had to go through to become a guardian ad litem just so they could give kids to their abusers. I really don't want to believe that. I don't believe that. I believe that they don't understand. And I know that I have experienced on some level what that looks like and how difficult it is when other people can't see what you can see, what you've lived with for years, Mm -hmm. and they discount you because they can't see it, because they see something different in their mind. And so they dismiss you and your experience as a result. And unfortunately, I think that's just human nature and it sucks. And it is the single source of much of the issues in the courts, um, guardians ad litem and child custody evaluators who don't get it, who can't see it, who don't have the right training. And I don't want to leave it at that. I want to say there are guardian ad litems and child custody evaluators who do get it. And they are working hard to educate their peers and to represent their clients well. And I'm so thankful for those people. They are far too few in number. So so yeah, record everything. And that includes text messages, emails, phone calls, um, just absolutely everything you possibly can. And you do have to be smart about it because you can put yourself in a situation of danger if they find out you're recording them and they know exactly what you're going to do with that recording and they don't want the truth out. So be very wise in how you collect that evidence. Um, Another way to collect evidence is through character witnesses. Maybe you have pastors or therapists or friends or family, coworkers, anyone who has witnessed the alienation or the abuse, anyone who sees your abuser for who they are, 
there is going to hopefully be a situation if you're represented well by your attorney that you will be able to call upon these people to come speak on your behalf in a trial if that if it comes to that and some will and some won't and that is an unfortunate reality that we can't really get around some people are going to say i don't want to be in the middle of it and that's hard to get around <laughs> to be honest with you because you can't make them but you know my appeal to anyone in that situation would be to do what's right and not worry about the outcome not worry about what it looks like to take sides take the side of what's right and the truth is always right and if you've witnessed something that is the truth and it needs to be shared for the children's sake so again you know just documentation um text screen recordings emails that you can turn into pdfs our family wizard you've mentioned and and we've mentioned on other episodes um and other apps like it that are automatically tracked by the court um when you let the court know about your account so they can access it your abuser is not able to continue their abuse or certainly shouldn't be able to <laughs> quite as easily but uh, you you just testified that sometimes they do mm-hmm. so but it is another tool and and oftentimes will curb that behavior uh to some degree and then you know obviously you be a part of the solution not the problem you can't meet them where they are if they're being verbally abusive to you do not give it right back you have to let your language verbally and in writing especially illustrate that you're trying to solve the problems you're not going tit for tat you're not letting them get to you you're not showing hostility so we know you feel it and you have every right to Uh, This is why you need a coach (laughs) to not only be that safe outlet for anger and fear and overreactions, but to guide you and how to release that and get centered on presenting yourself well legally so that you can meet your own goals, needs, and wants in your divorce. And then figure out patterns by journaling, which by the way, can very well be another form of proof. Um, When you're journaling every day and there's a date at the top of the page and patterns develop, And that's how you can see patterns is by documenting them. And this is one reason that I'm such a proponent of journaling, not only for this reason, but just because of how much it helps us see ourselves and our lives more clearly. We really can't see patterns for the most part unless we sit down and evaluate them. And oftentimes by writing things down every day, even though it's hard, and especially during divorce to remember all the details of all the things, you know, take that times a hundred if there's abuse and, you know, parental alienation is abuse. So journaling can and often does change the course of abuse because you're able to see these patterns and share them in a way that is, can be used as a form of evidence in court and just helps you to begin to understand that you your child is being alienated from you when maybe you start to see patterns in their reactions to you. If it's just happening, you know, sporadically, you may not, you may not have yet put it all together, I guess is what I'm saying. And journaling can help you to do that and make note of it as a documentation of that. So any thoughts on that? Did you find that to be helpful or do that? Oh, um, no, I wish that I had documented things better. And definitely though, journaling is 
wow, so helpful to even just bear witness to your own experience. Mm -hmm. Um, There's so much gaslighting and, you know, mind games, manipulation, that oftentimes you can begin to question reality yourself. And so documenting everything, just like you said, is just not only could it be effective tool in the legal battle, Mm -hmm. but it's also a hugely effective tool in your battle for mental health. Mm -hmm. So that you know that you know that you know what really happened. Mm -hmm. And it's like childbirth, you know, the further out you get from it, you sort of forget, you know, when you have that first baby, it's like, Oh gosh, I don't ever want to do that again. That was horrible. And then like Mm -hmm. one year down the road, you're, you're getting baby fever again because you (laughs) forget the, how intense things were at the time. And so it is very helpful to, to be able to refer back to that so that you can remember what it really was like too. Yes. I couldn't agree more. I may or may not be writing a book about that very thing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Journaling. If I had to choose one thing that allowed me to change my life, I would choose journaling. If I had to give up therapy and, and every book I ever read on everything I ever read a book about, and all I had was my journal and a pen, I would still choose that because it just cannot be explained how important it is and how much you learn and understand about yourself and your life when you are willing to discipline yourself to start exploring your thoughts and feelings on paper. So definitely very important in so many ways. Equally important is talking to your children. It may be challenging to find an opportunity to even have a simple conversation with your child, let alone an an in-depth one. But when you do, I think it's important to sit down with them and help them understand what's happening. You can never say, I love you too much. You can remind them of all the good times that you've had great fun together as a family. You can explain to them that those days can come back and they'll be, and that they will be taken care of and that you will love them without any conditions. I think it's paramount to talk with the parent alienator as well about the problem at hand. And that is sometimes even harder. What thoughts do you have on any of of the talking around this? Absolutely. I think that um, being very transparent with your kids, I think being very humble with your kids, um, acknowledging, you know, the mistakes that you've made and explaining that and inviting them really to do things in a different way is huge and ministering hope to them. Because I think that accepting that they, they're going to grieve this It's a death. It's a death for not only husband and wife, but it's a death for the children. It's a death of a family. It's a death of a dream. Mm -hmm. It's a death of sorts. And so really validating all of the feelings that they might be feeling um, and allowing them space to feel it, Mm -hmm. whether it's sadness or anger or confusion or denial or whatever it is. Just really encouraging them to feel the feelings and to let the feelings pass through them. And then also 
uh, ministering hope, but not in a toxic positivity sort of way, yeah. but just so that they can envision a brighter future. Mm-hmm. Yep. And part of that brighter future comes by being very carefully, very careful to make no mistakes. And that's a lot easier said than done. But your ex uh, or your spouse may have put a lot of blame on you. And so instead of reacting to it, it is important to be able to gather your resources and stand in your best self and stay strong and prove them wrong. And you need a lot of support around you to be able to do that. It's it's much easier to just succumb to it. But you have to be able to see that um, your positives are coming out. You want other people, your attorney, you want the judge, you want all the people that matter in your case to see who you really are. You're not the person that your soon-to-be ex is making you out to be. So don't act like them. Don't act like that person. Even if you're angry, you've got to have tools for calming yourself down because even a single wrong word or act can tilt the scales further toward their side. So it's just, I can't express enough how important it is to monitor your own reactions and actions and have whatever support you need to be able to do that. Yeah. Did you feel like you had good support during your divorce or would would there be something you would do differently with that? I think that prolonged grief and suffering is hard for people to walk through with you. Mm-hmm. And so my circle has gotten smaller and smaller. Mm-hmm. And that's just another layer of loss, right? But, you know, initially there was definitely more support. Um, and people have sort of fallen away as this just sort of continues um, because I think it's just people don't understand what it's like to live with such loss, layer upon layer upon layer of loss. Mm -hmm. Um, So have I had support? Yes. I, you know, when you walk through the hard, you have this idea in your mind of who will be locking arms with you Mm -hmm. as you go through that. And the shock of all is that they're nowhere to be found, but you have a new tribe. Yeah. And they're they're <laughs> small but mighty, as I like to say. Mm-hmm. So I I definitely have a small and mighty tribe. I love how you said layers of loss because it is so I think so much so because it's so unexpected. Mm-hmm. You have certain people in your life that you think are you're you know going to be your rocks, and then life happens and they're not. And so, yes, it's a layer of loss and it takes some time to grieve it. But at the same time, you eventually come around to understanding that it wasn't actually a loss because anybody that was for you would have never left you. So you actually just left all the people that really were never for you to begin with. Yes. So that's a hard reality to wrap your head around and it takes a long time, but that's the goal is to get Add to, it that. to the list of hard yeah. reality. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
And so let's see, um, you know, I, I, the next thing I have on my list here is hire a legal representative. Well, yeah, you're going through a divorce. I surely hope if you're being alienated as parent that you're not trying to do a, a DIY divorce, that would be a nightmare. Don't do that. <laughs> I'm not giving legal advice here, but don't do that. Um, but do hire a legal representative very cautiously to protect not only you, obviously, but also to protect your child. And that may be in the form of a guardian ad litem. It may be in the form of a child custody evaluator. You may not even have a choice about that. But you do want to give that person all the proofs that you have collected. You want to explain the situation clearly. If you're still in the position where you're determining what attorney to hire, for your divorce case. Do not just hire somebody based off a billboard or because so-and-so said they were good. That is a recipe for disaster. You want to have very specific tools in your tool belt when it comes to hiring a legal representative. And there are other episodes about that. And I coach my clients through that decision all the time because it's extremely hard to make sure that you're choosing somebody who's not going to leave you in the lurch when it's when it's most important that they don't, right? And and you know, approaching with the help of a lawyer and sufficient evidence, you know, is your best bet for that. And then you know, just don't give up. And and frankly, you know, <laughs> you probably already want to give up after our conversation today. I mean, fighting and proving that you're right against somebody who is just plain evil and diabolical and willing to stop at nothing to get what they want is exhausting. It's beyond exhausting. And obviously, you have to do it because you want to carry on the fight for your children, who, as we have said, are just as much victims of parental alienation as you are. They're being used by your ex for his benefit or her benefit. And your kids might be making you question that, calling you all kinds of names and bad-mouthing you and making your life miserable. And so it's really hard to understand that there are victims too, but they are. And so you can never give up fighting for them and for yourself. And if it comes to it, there is a therapy that is being utilized when this does happen called reunification therapy. When a child is wrongfully alienated from one of their parents, this kind of therapy can help in being able to reunite them, kind of undo the brainwashing. So, and, and it can be, chosen voluntarily, but it can also be court ordered. So if you've got a child that is old enough and, you know, maybe, you know, they're too old for the court to intervene, I don't know. But if if you have a child young enough and you have the means to, you know, have a court order put in place, that would be your best bet for this. Is that something you know much about, Regina? I don't. In fact, I only recently heard about it um, from a woman in my abuse group. Um, it was just ordered by the court. She has 10 kiddos. So some are young enough oh to be mandated for that. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know how it's worked for her yet because it was literally just like sent down from their trial. Mm -hmm. okay. But I am very intrigued by it. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, of course you are. Well, I guess, you know, in kind of closing a little bit, we're going to kind of wind down here. Um, obviously, children need the love and affection of both of their parents. So when one of them alienates the other, the child is going to have psychological problems. That's just probably 
unavoidable, to be honest, at the very least anxiety and depression, because it's extremely confusing for them to assess what's right and wrong. And, and they're left lonely and isolated and confused and so many other things. Um, anger, uh, you know, is <laughs> a very natural emotion in a situation like this, when the parent is manipulating a child or instilling negativity or hatred for the other parent, it's going to have that adverse effect and make the child upset or even angry with the other parent. Um, and then maybe someday that switches course and they see the truth and now they're going to be angry at the other one and or themselves. So there's definitely going to be some anger around all of this. It's a very frustrating situation and it can digress to many other forms, including aggression and violence. So, you know, and this is something that can go on for a very long time. What thoughts do you have on that? <sighs> too many (laughs) too many at the end (laughs) yeah 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 and and feel free to summarize you don't have to i know this is a heavy topic yeah um i i'm gonna pass on that one (laughs) okay you can (laughs) there's a lot here so i you know i don't want to hog the mic here but but um these are just the things that are, are going to be the inevitable outcome of a parental alienation situation. And that's true for the victim, all of the victims <laughs> in this situation, anxiety and depression, anger, fear, uh, sleep and eating disorders, a lack of focus, um, low self-esteem, and you know even self-destructive behavior, panic attacks, obviously poor relationships, um, maybe with not only the parents, but maybe with others, social identity issues, diminished activity, I, I mean, even memory loss and regressive behavior. So, you know, you can use mediation to sort the issue with your spouse or go legally to protect your child. You may have to go ahead with litigation in a trial. Just make sure you know the law regarding parental alienation and do everything you possibly can to ensure that you have the necessary evidence to prove it. And my encouragement, again, like I said earlier, to each and every person that's facing this is that you turn your pain into fuel to take every single step you can carefully and strategically and just always be working to help the truth be made known and for the relationship with your children to eventually be remedied, no matter how long that takes. And I want to also say that that doesn't mean that you're not also taking good care of you because you simply must. It's the old, you know, put your own breathing device on before you try to help someone else in an airplane situation. This is a a long and exhausting battle. You're not going to win this battle by self-denial and by continuing to expose yourself to abuse by your soon-to-be ex or your children if they have become abusers through this. You have to take care of you. And that's a lot easier said than done, as with so much of this. But, you know, just learning to get to know yourself and love yourself and just breathe and just be set aside time for fun and an enjoyment of your new life and the fact that you're free from abuse, if that was your situation. And you're not going to be able to fight for the long haul if you don't, you know, think of it like a marathon. A marathon runner doesn't go out and run 26 miles without hydrating and fueling along the way. So what thoughts do you have on that, Regina? 
Oh, I mean, so many. (laughs) Right, you do. It's like, it's this strange kind of living in the tension of hope and grief and joy. Mm-hmm. And there's, it's so complex and it, it can flip flop around, you know, it's not all one way all the time. Um, but definitely, you know, sometimes I catch myself where I am having a great time and I'm just so thankful for the freedom that I have and for the opportunity that I have to build a brand new life for myself. And then I feel guilty and it's like, no, I have to live right now. This is like my duty for myself to myself Mm -hmm. is to live because life continues to go on. You know, everyone's living their lives and I have to live my life too. And it doesn't mean that the pain still isn't there. It is there, Mm -hmm. but it's okay to do fun things and to enjoy your life. Yeah. And the, the grief is always going to be under the surface and it'll come, you know, in waves like it does. Mm-hmm. And you're going to be knocked on your butt too, you know, and you just kind of have to embrace all of it and be so gracious with yourself and so gentle with yourself as you experience all the feelings. Yes. Absolutely. And, you know, I like how you said life goes on. And and I have just one final tip for one way that I think you'll be glad you let life go on. And it's what I call hope gifts. And where what you do here is every birthday, uh, every Christmas that you're not allowed to see or speak to your child or children, take the time to go to the store, pick out just the right card, find a gift that you would love to hand to them right now, buy all the wrapping materials, take it all home and prepare it just as if you were going to hand it to them that day. Write a letter expressing everything you're feeling in that moment and tuck it inside that card. And after you prepare the hope gift, spend a few moments praying over it. Maybe you meditate or in some meaningful way connect spiritually with the energy this gift will hold and ask God to supernaturally share your love with your kids and to give you the opportunity to do so personally one day. And then put each prepared gift in whatever safe, special spot you have in your home. I personally would recommend that it be out of sight to some degree because it is going to be a source of grief each time you see it. But why would you do this? Well, because one day you are going to have the opportunity to talk with and reconnect with your child. Whether that's weeks or months or years down the road, just imagine the day that they're going to walk back through the door for the first time, or maybe walk through a new door they've never been through before. And there's going to be tears and tension and hugs and more tears. And then at just the right moment, you're going to take them to this closet and share all of these hope gifts with them. Now, they may or may not sit right down and read every card or open every gift. It would certainly be fun if they did. But even if they take it all back to their own home and do that privately, you can be certain it is going to mean an incredible amount to them. And it will be visually an undeniable way for you to show them that you have never stopped thinking of them or wanting them. It will be one of, if not the most healing things that you'll be able to share with them when you reunite. So I hope that anyone listening here today will do that. In closing, I want to say grieve 
what should have been. This isn't how it was supposed to turn out. Cry all the tears that you need to cry and then get the support that you need so that you can turn your energy of grief into action to understand on every possible level what exactly is happening around you, to you, to your children. Keep a note of every minute detail. Seek help and support from parental alienation experts. And just remember that your child's future and your relationship with them in the future is still in your hands. And it's certainly easy to think that it isn't, but you have to fight for them and do every single thing in your power to create the possibility for change in the future and not let your pain and grief allow you to forget that they too are being abused and you are trying to rescue them. So reach out and get the resources you need to be able to continue that fight. Regina, I would just welcome you at this time to just share whatever closing thoughts that you have. No, I mean, uh, there's nothing that I can add to it. You have wrapped it up beautifully. I just thank you so much for allowing me to be a part of this discussion. Um, And I love that you ended it with a piece of hope because I think for um, anyone in this situation, hope is the most precious gift. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So thank you. You're welcome. And thank you for being here, coming back a second time and sharing your heart with us and your wisdom that you've gained. And thank you again, listeners, for tuning in every Wednesday for more Starting Over Stronger. It is my pleasure to bring you these incredible stories and interviews with professionals to empower and encourage you on your divorce journey. You can do this. And I'm here when you need me. Startingoverstronger.com is an ever-growing resource for your divorce. And as always, remember, you do not have to do divorce alone and overwhelmed. There is help as you divorce and hope as you are starting over stronger.